0: Hello and welcome once again to episode 114 of Code Completion. We're a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what will most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. So uh, it's towards the end of the year. Um, in fact, we'll probably be releasing this days before the end of the year. Um, and what better time to look back on everything that happened right it's been an exciting uh second finale half of the apple silicon transition uh that turns out not done uh but uh it was exciting nonetheless um because we got m2 processors right
1: yeah um i mean along with that we've kind of we saw the second half of the m1 series processors we got you know the m1 max m1 ultra um so we got uh, those were in 2022 right
0: i i I think 2021 was when we saw the pro and the max did the ultra come out i think the ultra came out in 2022
1: let's see man the years have blended together these last couple years (laughs) they're all one like i don't even know uh the max studio came out in 2022 so um i think that was the first one or the only one with the ultra right yep okay so kind of, uh, like Dimitri said, though we've got the Apple Silicon transition basically done, um, which is exciting. Where we talked about this uh, an episode or two ago about there are a few lingering um, devices on the Apple Store that you can still buy that are Intel machines, including the Mac Pro. So that's kind of the the real finale. And I think you can still buy like a um, a Mac Mini uh, with that whatever i think they're ninth generation intel uh chips if you wanted to for some reason i don't know uh so there's that um i think mac Manicolo is probably the or uh, mac uh
0: stadium whatever they're called now um i think they're yeah. probably the biggest uh clientele to those kinds of machines along with now amazon and probably microsoft too uh oh, where they're true. now hosting them um, and they probably don't have the ARM versions up and running. Like, I know GitHub, for instance, does not have GitHub Actions for any of the modern stuff anymore. Like, you just can't host it on their thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I posted up a guide a while ago, if, if you want to host it yourself, like something that we were doing before we had a dedicated machine to do it, we just each all hosted, like each of us developers all hosted uh, a VM that had the GitHub runner stuff on it. Um, and like our machines were the VMs, and we hardly noticed as developers. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely something that if you need GitHub Actions to run on the latest and greatest thing, and you have three or four people in the team, well, that's probably good enough to get like the the PRs going and all that. Um, especially if you do need to test iOS specific stuff. So um, that's definitely uh, something that you can do uh, if you need to run macOS thirteen if you need to run the latest Xcode, because otherwise it's kind of hard to uh, get a test environment that will do that um, that's already hosted by GitHub. I'm sure other uh, services all have this kind of stuff, but yeah, that's that's something that is available to you. Nice.
1: Yeah, we do something similar. We just actually recently switched over to using GitHub, I think mostly for GitHub Actions. Um, We were on Bitbucket before, but... Um, what we I don't quite know how how we do it, um, but we have a GitHub action that doesn't actually use like the GitHub minutes or anything. Or I guess it probably does for a little bit it's of it. Self-hosted, but it's right? self hosted. It's self hosted. We actually yeah. So it doesn't Mac use St- any of it. Yeah. So we use Mac St- Mac Stadium with it, like some M1 series Mac, probably just the Mac Mini, and that's running all of our um, our simulators and running through all of our both UI and um, just unit tests as well. So kind of cool that um, that's an option. And yeah I, can't, yeah, I wonder, I think we talked about this a little bit a while ago too, which would be like if they come out with some actual sort of purpose-built rack-mounted Mac again, sort of like the Xserve. But I don't know if you know even Mac Stadium would care at this point. I'm sure all of their infrastructure is set up to handle the size and form factor of the Mac Mini. So if that changed, I'm not sure if they'd even go for it. They, that makes sense. they,
0: they definitely have rack-mounted like equipment, so I'm sure they'll welcome it. Oh, like, okay. The way most of these um, kind of data centers or companies that utilize data centers, because Mac Stadium doesn't run their own data center. They own uh, a cage on a data center. Um, and what a cage is is basically like, hey, this is a partitioned part of our floor, <laughs> and you need... Uh, your IDs to access it, like we're not, we don't have access to it anymore. You sure. guys are renting out this floor space. Um, and we're basically giving you power, AC, and uh, network connections to mm-hmm. other services that are run in the same building, for instance. Um, and from there, you put your own racks or not. Otherwise, you can rent just a rack. You can gotcha. rent just a slice of a rack. Um, there's all sorts of different plans available.
1: Yeah, that'd be fun. I'm sure that Apple could fit a pretty cool Mac in even like what they had with the one U Xserve. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, I don't know if you split it into like four different Mac Mini side or Mac Mini uh single devices or something. I don't know, or what you what you could do with that, but uh the X had had two processors in them, or at least they could I think. So mm-hmm. And, you know, those were with me, uh, hot Intel chips. So you could probably eke out a lot of cooling potential with, you know, those super, whatever they are, like 20,000 RPM fans or whatever, and cool a bunch of them in one unit just fine, or make it taller. I don't know, but
0: Mm -hmm.
1: be cool. Well, Apple does sell a
0: rack mounted Mac, right? And that is the Mac Pro. So yeah. Uh, it's that's... a 5U, but uh, it's it's something that's available. So uh, yeah. here's hoping that Apple can like bring that down to a slimmer form factor. Um, and I, I would say play to the benefits that you could have had by having a bunch of Mac minis, for instance, all vertical uh, in yeah. the 1U space. Like having a whole bunch of processors is oftentimes more beneficial to having a single processor in like a one U uh, space, especially yeah. when they are so power efficient, and so quiet, um, and that can that can do quite a lot. Like I've built a farm out of Mac Minis before, um, and it's it's quite the capable device, even when it was on Intel. So uh, I can definitely see a lot of benefit to Apple adopting that kind of direction. That said, I don't think they will. Uh, but like my little two cents there and. Uh, that past life that kind of worked a lot with that sort of kind of stuff. Nice.
1: So let's see what else happened this year. Um, I mean, as far as Swift goes, it's. I don't want to necessarily say slowing down, but, uh, we, you know, ever since we've got to Swift 5, which was, what, like two years ago already, uh, mm-hmm. it's been the, I guess, the large updates have been a little bit slower, but um, I think things like xcode have been getting better i like the um the github integrations i think that's great or just the the git integration with xcode I'll, I'll use that for pretty basic stuff and then you know jump on the terminal or tower when i need to but that's been great um i i remember when we let's see what are we on now we're on 14 i think it was 13 when they like changed all of the file icons uh in xcode and we were freaking out about it and now it's not a big deal so <laughs> Uh, it's, Finally got it's used funny. to it. Yeah, it's funny. You know, you you're like, oh, this is so different. I absolutely hate it. But now, kind of in a in a retrospective, it's like, yeah, okay, that was cool. And it is kind of nice to be able to differentiate, especially in like what I have for work, where there are, we have a bunch of folders and subfolders for everything. But within each subfolder, there's depending on where it is in the app, it's got Swift files, but also Objective C files. Uh, so kind of easier to navigate without having to pull over that, uh, sidebar to see the file names cause they can sometimes be super long. So, um, tooling has been better. I, I don't really ever feel like Xcode has been super buggy in the rec- probably in the last year or so that I can think of. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and Swift I don't has know. gotten better, easier and easier to use,
0: right? Like, we finally can say if let something open Curly yes. Brace. Um, so it's like those little tiny things along with uh, the bigger things like Swift concurrency getting more mature, uh, Swift UI oh, yeah. being more mature. Um, like, all of those, I think, have been great this year. Um, and Apple is really hitting it out of the park on those basic fronts. Open Sourcing Foundation... Um, yes. So I I think there, there's a lot of potential for Swift and the Swift language as a result of the actions that Apple's taking, kind of modernizing it and bringing it up to speed internally. Um, and that's really accelerating what the open source community can do with it as a result of that. Right.
1: Yeah. Uh, another huge one we talked about a few weeks ago is the on swift.org they brought over the swift evolution they made that swift evolution page which makes it a lot easier to look at and kind of find um things that are in review that are uh, going to be reviewed things that were accepted excuse me um so that's super nice i always love the you know uh let's see what is it called the swift um uh oh just the swift programming language guide um on swift.org that's always been nice. That's been there forever, but, um, yeah, I think the dedication that Apple has given alongside and kind of given, um, sort of leeway to let the community also drive Swift has been cool. And yeah, like you said, Swift UI has been, I think, much improved and we're, we're only going to continue to see it improve and kind of I think become what Apple wanted it to be. Like, I remember being there at dub dub when they announced Swift UI and it, you know, it seemed all super magical and it was, but um, as we, as we quickly found out it wasn't quite there uh, especially in kind of the version one of Swift UI. So seeing it uh, sort of reach, uh, I wouldn't say parody with, with UI kit, but reach kind of closer and closer to that parody and being able to, be a little bit more confident in making things and um, like I remember teaching one of the students at um, the the job I was teaching at um, a few months ago like there's a map view now um, in Swift UI for example you don't have to use a UI view representable and stuff so they're kind of inching towards that goal of kind of ultimately probably replacing UIKit entirely but we're working mm-hmm.
0: there. Yeah, it's it's definitely reached maturity. I would say um, you can now do pretty much anything you really wanted to do with SwiftUI, at least on iOS. I would say macOS seems to be a much in a much rougher state, especially once you mm-hmm. start wanting to do like normal app kit kind of things, which is ostensibly what SwiftUI would aim to replace. But AppKit is still the better framework when it comes to needing to lay out standard controls and having Windows behave properly and all of that. It seems like it's still a hot mess if you decide to go all in on SwiftUI in that regard. But if you're using SwiftUI for all your custom views, I think you're going to be a whole lot better off than subclassing NSView and then handling DrawRect yourself, for instance. Um, So for things like that, I think SwiftUI is hitting it out, it's continuing to hit it out of the park everywhere for things like replacing, well, like building a standardized uh, palette or uh, preferences window, sorry, settings window. Um, I think all of those (laughs) kinds of things uh, are uh, a bit out of SwiftUI's depth only because there are significant bugs in SwiftUI that prevent it from being something that's truly magical to use in that kind of environment. Uh case in point, system settings. Uh the wonderful new app we've been graced with uh this year, um that has not escaped shipping. Uh has has uh invaded all of our all of our Macs. Um and yeah. it seems to be getting better, and maybe this is the impetus to force Apple to fix a lot of those issues with Swift because now they have uh a big time app that's gonna see a lot of use um by a lot of people like u- hitting all those same bugs. So I think that's probably for the better that Apple did kind of go all in on redesigning it and reworking it to be written in Swift UI. It's just going to be a little bit of a few rough years uh, until we get to that point where we see the other end of it and things are much better as a result.
1: Yeah. I think another huge thing, um, I think it was released this year, was Async Await. Is that right? Like
0: I think, no, Async Await came Ooh. out
1: before. Um, oh, did
0: it? Yeah, but it, it did feel like it's starting to make a lot of headway, especially in the open source uh, community for things like Vapor and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Almost all of Vapor can now be used with Async Await. Yeah. Swift Neo is like getting large overhauls to have Async Await-based event loops and stuff like that. So um, definitely a lot of improvements there. But yeah, it it had to come out last year for those Shoot. improvements to come out this year right
1: <laughs> okay yeah well that's that's kind of where i was going was all of the i've kind of been doing a fair amount of work with vapor kind of on the side uh for a side project with ben and that's been uh just like night and day i think improvement for the approachability of using vapor and getting like especially getting into it is using async away where you're where, don't have to worry about futures anymore. I, it took me probably an evening to just f- change everything over to using uh, async away from futures. And it's, you know, no more nested code, no more having to flat map your futures over and over again. And it just made it, um, I mean, literally made a world of difference to the approachability of, you know, how, how easy is it going to be to have to refactor this function if, um, you know, the iOS app needs this different format of of JSON or they want something completely different, how hard is that to really refactor? Made it super, super easy. So um, unfortunately, as far as my work goes, I haven't had a ton of chances to um, implement Async Away. We've talked about it. We have an internal sort of improvement um, meeting every month to talk about the things we'd like to kind of improve, not necessarily to... Um, directly affect sort of the, uh, you know, the app, like add functionality or improve the visuals or anything, but things like cleanup, or uh, one that I proposed was uh, moving even a small portion of our app to async await And we haven't quite got there yet. But um, we've kind of figured out where to start. So I'm really excited to kind of take what I've learned from uh, vapor and learning async await and kind of that open source server side context and apply it to sort of normal iOS code. Um, And I think that, you know, if, if I were to start building a new app today, I'd most definitely just use async await from the get go instead of having to deal with, um, you know, normal uh, GCD or anything. So that's something that sort of looking forward. I know that async, uh, just from my own experience, I guess, async await is super, like mature, I think that was one of the things, and you can probably correct me here. That was one of the things that, um, uh, like Tim, the um, Vapor devs were talking about. It's not quite uh, as as um, performant as GCD, or as <clears throat> maybe Neo's futures. I can't quite remember what it was. Oh, it ab-
0: it absolutely is, but the underpinnings were all being done on these different thread pools, so there was a lot of context switching. So until mm. uh, Neo was implemented with async await, everything would be a little slower, but the development productivity is so much better that they decide to go that yeah. route
1: anyways, right? Gotcha. So I guess is Neo now on async await too?
0: Not quite, but it's okay. making the
1: steps to get there. Cool. So yeah, yeah like that, I think that was a huge thing for me personally as a developer is like learning async await and being like, this is the future and like not rebelling. Like I rebelled with codable and like I took so long to learn codable. And that was my mistake for not, um, not trusting that it would be a good thing, I guess. So I kind of tried to dive a little bit more into async await and was very, very happy with kind of what it ended up being and what it is.
0: Yeah. Um, I think for async await, this is definitely something that you need to play with because it is different. Um, being able to use actors and stuff can be like tremendously life changing in terms of like how you organize your code. Um, and you might think, Oh, well, like I can design this crazy system. It'll be super cool because it uses actors and look at the code. It's like super simple, but then you start to hook that up to your UI and you're like, Oh yeah, I click a button and I need my actor to do something. So tasks dot or task and then open curly brace and you do something with your actor. um, And then you were like, okay, now I need to use it in delegate methods. And like, how do I do that? Um, And Mm. that's when it all starts to kind of collapse a tiny bit. um, Because a lot of us haven't really played with actors. And they're not super great in that specific set of circumstances, for instance. But you only really realize that once you start using them, right? Right. Uh, And until you start using them, you're never really going to learn those lessons. For instance, well, serialization is kind of out the door. Um, You don't have first-in, first-out when you make requests to actors. It's whatever is available at any given time. That's why it's performant. So you can either implement a first-in, first-out queue, or you would have to change the way your app works so that way it can behave correctly if that order is not super necessary. Or you might be wondering, well, like, okay, I have a long-running operation. How do I, like, check the progress on it? Well, like, the whole mentality of having a progress object... That you listen to is kind of not the way to do things with async away you're kind of expected to return an async sequence instead and that sequence can be your progress like as you consume it you know the progress of how far you are along with it right um, but that involves like using an async sequence and knowing the gotchas there and how to work around them so i think it's gonna be a little while before Uh, UI apps really take full advantage of this async await world. Yeah. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of transformations that happen to our UI frameworks to more readily integrate with that. For instance, a button action, there's no reason why that can't be an async context, right? Why not? Just let the button trigger into it and that can come with a whole bunch more uh, UI paradigms that are no longer dependent on things like uh delegates, which is kind of the old world of UI kit and it's not really present in the new world of Swift UI. So, um, I can definitely see a lot more things uh just being async native um as time goes sure. on. Um, it's just gonna take a while to get there,
1: right? Yeah, I guess that's kind of the the upside of of vapors. there's you don't have to worry about that and so it's already um, async native <laughs> yeah exactly. that's the world you're in the
0: yeah. entry point is so, async the exit point is async and uh, as long as you play by those rules everything is super fast
1: yeah i've almost not had to touch actors at all i think i made one actor for like uh, some i don't know it's been a while since i looked at that code but it's mostly just like Marking things as async and then calling await and that's it. So I haven't really dove into the the deeper parts of, of you know, making actors and, and, for example, using the main actor because it's just there isn't one or maybe mm-hmm. there is, but yeah, I don't use it or whatever. Anyway, it would be fun to kind of looking forward, I guess, dive more into async await in that sense. And uh, yeah, get a, a deeper understanding like you have. So. What
0: are you looking forward to the most for next year?
1: I think, yeah, well, kind of continuing with Async Away. Definitely just, like I said, moving on with that and and trying to implement it. Um, I don't know. I think I always just want to try to keep learning things. And I think a lot of that comes down to like trying to stay on top of whatever gets announced in DubDub. Uh, and just the changes in Swift. So I don't feel like, uh, again, like with Codable, I don't feel like an old man. I'm like, I'm going to stick with JSON serialization. That's the way. Um, (laughs) Just trying to keep up and like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I I always feel like I want to kind of keep myself in a nice place where I'm comfortable. And I want to try to kind of push out from that and um, continue to learn things. And, um you know at work we have uh, every uh 6 months we have kind of review like bi-yearly reviews and talking about what we'd like to do and you know i'm working on this app that has so much to it and i'm i'm scratching the surface of of everything that it does i mean we're doing audio processing and video processing and we're using metal and there's all of this stuff kind of around me peripherally that i'm not touching and so I think for me i'd love to like try to learn some of that stuff even if it's just a little bit i mean trying to understand how we set up uh, the timeline for our app alone is just insane and everything that i use is just very superficial like working on ui bugs or trying to figure out networking stuff uh getting stuff from google drive or whatever so um you know trying to dig deeper into low, lower level code. Um, it's, I guess for me, hard to look at like when Andrew Madsen or my boss puts in a pull request and it's about synchronizing two tracks of audio and generating waveforms and stuff. It's like, there's so much that I don't know. So, um, I've kind of come to terms with like, the imposter syndrome of like not knowing everything and I'm just trying to like incrementally improve, I guess, at, like as a personal resolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me that probably mostly takes the form of like, what are the new things in dub dub? Like I said, that I can implement, um, perhaps into either my work apps or into uh personal apps, whether it's this paper project or, or whatever. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I uh, don't really work on my own personal apps currently because I'm just working at work and I have this thing with Ben that kind of takes all of the time I want to work. Um, But it would probably be good to, uh, you know, (laughs) work on something. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. What about you?
0: Yeah, I I think I'm getting to that same point where that itch that i want to scratch the most is to work on my own like software again um mm-hmm. and that's something that you can't really satisfy by working for others because there will always be like these tidal forces that bring you to different uh places that kind of escape that need uh that we sometimes have so i think for me what i'm looking for the most is probably getting back into that and finding some time where I can enjoy like working on that unique project that doesn't fulfill a business need. Right. It's just something that fulfills a useful need, um, or a solution that I personally need, um, or something that I wanted to explore. Right. Um, and I think that being able to find the time to do that is exceptionally hard Um, but once you kind of get started, then it makes it a lot easier, right? Um, Mm -hmm. and as you said, like, sometimes it involves, like, learning new things and being on top of everything. Like, this is the first year that I think I have been so overwhelmed. I did not go and explore everything that system settings has, for instance. Like, Mm -hmm. I have traditionally always gone into all the new apps that can installed on the system and i go poking around and i say okay what's in this preference oh got it this is where this move um so and so uh and that has always helped me uh in the silliest ways namely when people call like hey my computer's broken uh <laughs> then you can go ahead and yeah. like give them direct well like open system preference i mean system settings Uh, and then, okay, on that left bar, you see the, like, okay, go to the third section, click on this. And I have, like, a mental map of all those things that I don't have for the first time. Um, and that is both, like, liberating because it has allowed me to think of other things this year that I just haven't had a chance to think about before because my brain has obviously... Uh, been uh, saturated with system preferences uh, tips and tricks that are uh, no longer needed Um, (laughs) but uh, I also had the chance to like learn completely different sets of uh, sets of skills like for instance this year I learned how react works on 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 the web Uh, and that's not something that I ever would have like dove into myself right um like i i am like staunchly uh into native development um and i would never build a native app using this but that has been a very useful skill to learn because now if i wanted to write a website i'm probably not going to just do it the vanilla html and uh, javascript way i would probably use react um because it is a very powerful thing and it much like SwiftUI, it kind of changes how you can think about solving a problem, um, and I think that can be very useful. Um, So, I think using everything that I did learn last year is probably what I'll be doing this year uh, to kind of try to make something with it, right? Um, And I know it's kind of nebulous in terms of like what that actually means, because I don't really know yet. Um, But yeah, I, I definitely want to start start doing productive things on my personal time, which has uh, been so limited that I I wear the shirt that says "I pause my game to be here," which is like a Christmas shirt. Um, and the irony is that I don't play video games. Like I haven't <laughs> played a video game in months, or like the better part of a year. Like I I opened up Skyward Sword on Christmas Day, uh, having bought it months prior um and like it was I, I ended up buying it so long ago the the gold points that you get on Nintendo Switch for uh, like having the cartridge like those expired um <laughs> like i was tough. just going through all the all the switch games i bought that were still wrapped up i was like oh let's put this one. oh the, these these points are expired next um oh. so yeah i i would say like i i need a a cleanup time to like zen out and categorize everything Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm using this end of the year to do that, and I hope to come out of that refreshed um, and encouraged to kind of build something that I want to build, right? Um, And I have, like, so many ideas, so many, in fact, that, like, I don't even know what I want to start with, and Mm -hmm. maybe I won't start in any of them as a result of that. But I want to come out feeling better, right?
1: Yeah. No, that's... Absolutely right. I think that's the hardest part is like, either you have a bunch of ideas and you don't know what to do, or like I've mentioned, I have like a list of projects that I've like personal projects that I've done. And I haven't had an idea for one in a long time. Um, but I think this thing that I'm, I'm doing with Ben has been nice because it's been a large enough vapor app that I've had to it it's more than a toy app you know what i mean like i actually mm-hmm. have to put some thought into like the database and uh, all of the different endpoints that you would need and everything like the second largest paper app that i've done is like the one that controls my uh ceiling speaker amp and it's not anything special so this one is quite a bit larger um like orders of magnitude larger which is awesome so that's been like fun for me i think That's always been the thing that over the last, I don't know, two or three years, I've been the most excited about is Vapor. So having a project to work on that would let me do that and kind of explore it in a more um, wide-reaching way has been really kind of fun. I I look forward to you know a personal app that I can do uh, with Vapor, whatever it would be. I don't really know. Um, But at this point, I feel much more confident and so like that's that's been the goal all along is just to, to to try to get better and unfortunately that's not something i can like directly apply to like my job or anything
0: mm-hmm. uh in
1: most senses the the most applicable thing is a await but um regardless it's been super fun and like i'm super glad that paper exists because it's it's i think one of my favorite things that i've learned
0: mm-hmm. and it's it's you don't end up getting the experience that you need without working on these kinds of things, right? Like, unless you are building out a backend with Vapor, you're not going to learn about how to build out a backend with Vapor, right? Yeah. Like, I have, for the longest time, always wanted to learn how to, like, push render instructions via Metal uh, to, like, draw stuff on the screen. I think that would be really cool to learn, but I've never gone to the point of learning it because I've never, like... Got to the point of needing to use it right yeah. um and it's it's that motivation and that push that will get you past that learning stage which is frustrating um onto the track where you can be productive with something you just need to do it um and that's like the hardest piece of it um and finding the time to do it not neglecting other responsibilities while you're finding the time to do it um and like playing that whole balancing game right um if, if only life were like video games where you can just like use resources freely and not not feel like uh you are actually using uh your actual like life energy life uh, in that process it's like oh yeah my hp is down to 10 but i'll totally recover that afterwards it's like meanwhile in real life when you're when your hp hits 10 you're like oh no uh bad things are happening <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly it's like Yes, I might have a savings. I ain't spending that savings to do anything. Like you, you become like terrified of that. But in a video game, it's like, oh yeah, you s- saved up all this gold or rupees or whatnot. And you just flat out use it all at once. <laughs> I'll make like, more. It's all good. <laughs> exactly. Um, and just maybe we need proof. approach approach life like that a little bit, right? It certainly feels like some people play life like that. And if you yeah. watch enough YouTube, they they certainly uh, throw things around in that in that way but like it's terrifying because it's your own life that you're dealing with right um but yeah maybe that's the secret to success just gotta flow throw caution to the wind and just uh blow your savings to invest in the next thing
1: right i don't know you gotta get good rng that's the whole thing though (laughs) doesn't work for everyone
0: (laughs) (laughs) does not work for everyone no it does not This week's episode of Code Completion is brought to you by Explain It Slowly. Have you ever wondered how anime is made, or how old TVs work, or even why you start picking up other people's accents just by hanging out with them? Welcome to Explain It Slowly, a podcast where Lynn and I explore any and every topic, from technology to food, twice a week. We've covered everything from SSDs to food comas, and can't wait to share what we learned next with all of you. So open up your favorite podcast app and search for Explain It Slowly to learn something new with us every week. We want to thank Explain It Slowly for sponsoring our show. Search for Explain It Slowly on your favorite podcast app or visit HTTPS colon explainitslowly.show to learn more. So, Spencer, um, I've got a code completion tip for you. Um, right. And this is related to something we talked about last week, um, and that is uh, self-executing closures. So last week we were talking a little bit about these magic if statements, uh, how in a future version of Swift, you might be able to use an if statement as uh, like a return or something that can return a value to um, like a variable, for instance. Um, And you could do that today. You can say like, uh, let my variable equals, uh, and then you can open up a curly brace, type anything you want, have it return a value, close that curly brace, and then open-close parentheses, as if you were calling a function. Um, And that's called a self-executing closure. Um, And they have a lot of uses in Swift. Uh, Namely, if you've ever declared a lazy variable, you've probably seen a self-executing closure attached right onto it. Um, And they are really, really practical for that because it allows you to, say, in UIKit land, declare all of your views and your subviews as these self-contained units that kind of configure themselves. Um, and they will just run through the closure that you provide then and there. You don't have to have it live in another method or anything. Um, and then they'll return the value directly into that, um, that lazy property. Um, and then they'll remember that value from that point forward. So then you don't have to go ahead and execute it again. Or you can execute it again. Like if, if you need to, you can set it to nil and... Uh, have things reoccur. like These can be used for all sorts of things. I've seen them used a lot in line uh, with functions, so that way you can have some complex conditional logic, for instance, um, which we may no longer need once we have these uh, better if and switch statements. But until then, it makes for a great way to kind of uh, get a value for something, have it be declared in one place, um, and not need to necessarily declare a variable and then set the variable Uh, in each of your conditions, you can just return it. Um, So uh, self-executing closures are great for that. Um, And if you check the show notes, I've linked to a whole article that goes into depth about them. Be sure that if you're using them with properties, that you kind of only use them with lazy properties. uh, Because if you use self in a self-executing closure, uh, it has a different meaning in any property other than a lazy one. Uh, For instance, if you have var my property equals and then self executing closure in there uh and self in that case refers to the function itself the closure right not the, the class or instance that you're in because it doesn't exist yet your instance right. is literally being constructed then and there uh so there's no self um, so do be careful with that especially when setting self to things like a delegate or a data source uh that won't work unless it's a lazy property so uh, that's like my only word of caution when using these. Um, as with everything, there's like pros and cons. Uh, but they are a very useful tool um, and they can help make your code a lot cleaner and a lot easier to read.
1: Nice. I love whenever we like talk about self and like you're like self doesn't exist yet. It like becomes semi-philosophical all of a sudden. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's
0: one of those things where... Like I always wondered, like what is self like an objective? It's literally just an argument that's passed into methods. Um, right. Like that's the secret, and that's what it's doing in Swift too. Um, super is a little bit more nebulous, and I always found that one a little bit more interesting. Like mm-hmm. you can't you can't do things with super that you can do with self, for instance. Um, there are certain restrictions placed on it. Uh, so uh, yeah, uh, language magic at its at its. Yes best, right? Absolutely. Um so uh in over in hardware land, um I hear you have a new little uh device that you'd like to go over today.
1: Yes. So for the mini review corner, I've actually had this for a while, but um I uh a while ago I bought a pair of headphones uh second hand just here locally and the guy included this thing um, sort of along with it and the price was like right for just the headphones but it also had this along with it so i was like okay i'll take it um it's called the fio uh, btr 3k i think and it's this little tiny dongle thing and so what it is is it has uh, a three and a half millimeter jack and i think two and a half millimeter balanced output um and really all it is is a bluetooth dongle basically so you can plug your wired headphones into this, turn it on. It's got a battery and you can connect it to uh, anything as if they were like wireless headphones. So, uh, like, uh, I, I just recently bought a pair of, um, headphones from the, the website formerly known as mass drop. Now it's just drop, um, these Mese noir headphones. They're really nice and they sound really good. Um, and I was playing some, uh, games the other day and uh, in my bedroom and my TV's on the other side of the room so i plugged the the headphones into this and then just connected my pc to this uh and had wireless audio and it was super nice just like sitting on my bed and having some really good kind of like the soundtrack for the game i was playing was good so just kind of jamming out to that while i was playing um but it'll connect to like your phone uh your pc whatever your mac anything so Kind of a cool way to, like, if you have some nice uh, wired headphones, it's a good way to um, connect them wirelessly. And it's, like, a, technically, like, an amp and everything, too. So, uh, you know, it has power to drive, like, high-impedance headphones. Um, it also has a USB-C port on the other side. So you can use it as, like, a DAC and just directly connect it to your Mac as, like, a USB audio interface uh, as well. So kind nice. of, like... If the battery on this thing goes bad I can just kind of dedicate it as like a, a you know DAC right into my Mac and I don't really have to worry about it being kind of a paperweight or anything so uh yeah it's cool it's like sixty or seventy dollars I think new on Amazon and Fio uh, makes a bunch of different um kind of levels of um, of these uh I don't know what you call them, Bluetooth dongle things. This is like the lowest tier and it, it works great for what I need. I'm not powering like 600 ohm headphones or anything, so I don't need anything, you know, super beefy. Um, so yeah, check it out if you're interested. It's been a kind of a cool way to actually use my um, nicer headphones when I don't want to use my AirPods, uh, even just like listening to music on my phone. So yeah.
0: Nice. I wonder if a device like this might work with the Apple TV's, like, ARC output. I know, like, the Apple TV can, like, route audio from your TV to things like AirPods. So I'm wondering if that would also work with just arbitrary Bluetooth headphones. Um, And then you can use this with your good headphones and just, like, listen to TV solo without, like, worrying about bothering neighbors or whatnot um, and get that full experience.
1: I'd assume that you can... I'll have to try it out on my Apple TV, though. I'll, I will report back.
0: As always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter or Macedon.social at CodeCompletion to so know when new episodes go live. And feel free to tweet at us if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis. That's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Bouniol. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. So on the topic of obsoletance, um... I've replaced my entire Wi-Fi setup. I'm not, just kidding. Um, oh no! <laughs> can you imagine? After I, I would, spent so much time and effort, and uh, money, and money. Uh, but no, I, I like am nearing the the completion stage of my home network overhaul, uh, or as Spencer calls it, the baller, network. The baller um, network. And I think I finally solved all the issues that I was having with HomeKit. Um, and ubiquity stuff. Um, and a lot of this stems from the fact that not all like IOT devices only like 2.4 gigahertz nowadays. Mm -hmm. Um, they also, uh, enjoy the five gigahertz connections that they can get. Um, so it's not like totally proper to just sequester them onto their own 2.4 band uh, network and be done with it. um. But also, like, I want to start making use of, like, the 6G-capable uh, device in my house, which is <laughs> there's just one. It's the iPad Pro uh, M2. Um, but, oh, boy, is it nice when that connects to Wi-Fi. Um, like, I think I was just running some iPerfs last night, uh, and I was getting 1,600 megabits down, like, That's to awesome. a local file server. Um, so that is, like... Uh, very nice to have over Wi Fi. It's totally better than gigabit, um, if that wasn't obvious. Uh, and That's crazy. yeah, like this is the new world that I very much look forward to uh, having more devices step into. Um, and I tweeted as such, like, I can't wait for the next iPhone, the next MacBooks uh, to have uh, some more capable uh, Wi Fi uh, capabilities. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, that. Needed some setup that was a little bit more complicated than I was hoping. So what did I change to make things work well? Um, notably, I noticed that I could get things working. Like I can restart all the switches in my house, for instance. Um, and then they would work. Uh, but then the next day, I would wake up and I'm like, well, it's time for bed. Or I would wake up, go through the day, and I would be like, well, it's time for bed. Uh, let's uh, ask the, the nice lady in a can to, to dim the lights um and then none the the bedroom lights are not responding um and then you have to get up <laughs> like that's that's the worst when you get used to that kind of thing working yeah. and then you have to like get up to go to the switch which is a few steps away but you're like all comfy and warm yeah it's not the best feeling but happens um but i i want to solve that so uh, i noticed that i could fix it for the day and it would break the next day um And I was wondering, like, why was this happening? Um, And my working hypothesis was that when the devices, when all the access points, uh, like, stay awake overnight, they go ahead and choose new channels to jump to um, in terms of, like, oh, the neighbors are not using this or the neighbors are not using that. Um, And that might be one of the reasons why the stupider uh, smart devices... Um, were not coming along for the ride they were basically staying on the old channel and being like well it's awfully quiet here um and i'll just i'll just wait for my next command and it never really came because everything went to a different channel um and part of that might be because one access point might have the one that they were connected to hopped to a new channel but an old another access point in the house because i have multiple went to the channel that it was on uh like there's all sorts of scenarios that these devices were probably not made to really like handle well um and therefore i did a lot of research into uh, like picking channels uh channel widths how the bonding happens and how to get the most speed out of things um so i made a bunch of changes uh namely uh the main change i did was pick a channel for every one of my access points so um i have six access points around the house um almost one per room and you might be wondering well that's silly because one access point can kind of service an entire area and it can go quite far um but 5g and 6g can't really penetrate walls that well. um so i basically took that to my advantage i decreased the power output significantly on all of them so they're really not penetrating walls at all um but within that room they're doing excellent um so that gives kind of at least one device per room to have almost all the bandwidth available to it um, because that's another limitation of Wi-Fi is it's kind of a timesharing sort of thing that's happening. Um, the, The access point will go ahead and say like, hey... Uh, iPhone, I have a bunch of information for you. Send it to the iPhone. The iPhone says, okay, here's the stuff I need to send to you. Uh, And then the access point is like, hey, iPad, I have some information for you. And the iPad gets all that. And then the iPad is like, okay, here's some information I'm giving back. Um, And it will go through your devices like that. So if you have a bunch of devices, um, especially if you have hundreds of devices, they're just going to be timesharing that window in time, going to each one of them, giving them an opportunity to connect, send or receive data um, and that's why like you can have wi-fi at all otherwise it's kind of just blinking uh to everything all at once and everyone's kind of hearing each other's traffic um, because there's no wire right it's just all going there's no no paralyzability here except on multiple channels um so i made sure that every single access point had unique channels um that did not overlap um, for 2.4 gigahertz, this means that you have 1, 6, and 11 to choose from. Those are it. Um, don't don't go ahead and pick wide channels on the 2.6 gigahertz band because uh, you can have wide channels, but only if you have one access point. Um, and that does not uh, really work that great. So um, that that is mostly limited to the slower, still capable, um, but more long-distance connections that you might need when you're like approaching your house or when you're about to drive off and you just need that Maps uh, data to come in. That's totally fine for it. Um, For everything else, for uh, like actually connecting to the internet, that's probably going to be happening over 5G on most of your devices. Um, So I had to pick channels for that too. I originally set that to auto and things were still disconnecting on me and that's because the light switches were connecting to 5G Um, because they determined that that was a better connection for where they were in the house. Um, So that was also something that I needed to go ahead uh, and lock down. Um, So, yeah. Uh, Through trial and error, I finally got to the point where nothing is disconnecting anymore. Um, I also noticed that the U6 Enterprises, which is the the access point that I have uh, above me that support 6G, um, they don't seem to support choosing channels for all of the 6g spectrum so uh there it's like only the first half which i found a little bit weird so i'll report back when i learn more there um but that's more than enough for what i need right now so uh that's not too big of an issue
1: nice that's cool so I just like jumped into my Unify setup to see what I, I was doing. Um, so like you turned off nightly channel optimization. Basically, and yeah. at least so- chose the channel. Uh, yeah.
0: And a nice thing is that uh, Unify's access points, you can tell them to scan and they will scan. Yeah. Uh, they will scan and see what spectrum is being used at that given moment in time. Which is right. super useful for choosing channels because then you can go ahead and say, well, the neighbors are all on these um, these DFs channels, uh, DS, DFU. I don't know. I don't know. There's there's a certain set of channels that are available, um, but then they were like they're only available when we're not using them, and we, in this case, is the U.S. government, um, because they use them for like military and stuff like that. That said, I've been I read up a whole bunch because apparently they're way slower to connect to um, for roaming and stuff like that, and therefore most devices won't end up being on them. But that all changed in like 2021 and stuff like that, so they're kind of just available. Um so if you're if your devices support it, then go ahead and use it. Not all devices will support it, so I recommend only using them if you have a multi-access point setup and you wouldn't mind some older devices sticking to the Older available channels um, And this is just on the 5 gigahertz spectrum So it's not too big of a deal Otherwise but right. yeah. Um, yeah Wi-Fi is complicated Another thing that I did is I have a specific Wi-Fi network for 6G um, People might be asking oh, okay. "Well, <clears throat> <All right. sighs> Let me try that again uh, people might be like asking is if this is similar to when people set up a 2.4 gigahertz and a 5 gigahertz network? not at all. So this separate 6G enabled network um, has 2.4 gigahertz and 5 gigahertz on it as well. Um, and that's actually necessary for 6G to operate properly, and your Apple devices will complain if you connect to a 6G only network that doesn't have the corresponding 5 gigahertz and 2.4. So the difference here is that on my regular networks that everything has been connected to up until now, that's 2.4 and 5 only. And on the 6G network, that's a completely separate SSID with 2.4, 5, and 6 on it. But since I know older devices are not going to be connecting to it, this is just going to be the brand, the brand newest of devices, I went ahead and clicked all the bells and whistles um, that have come to Wi-Fi since. So, like, fast roaming, sure. fast authentication. Um, and that's where I've been experimenting with all of that stuff. So, that one is WPA3 only. There's no no other way to, like, sign into it. Um, yeah. It's only on the latest and greatest stuff. So, if you have an older device, it's not going to see that network, basically, as something it can ever connect to. And that's fine. Like, you can have an multiple SSIDs that do different things that have different services enabled for them. So, Um, That's something that I did do in this uh, situation because otherwise you can't use 6G unless you're using the newest encryption standards as well. Um, So that kind of would seclude the rest of your network if you didn't do anything special for that. So if you are kind of interested in exploring a 6G network, go ahead and set up a separate SSID for it um, and then go ahead and turn on all the modern things um, because iPhone and iOS devices and Macs they all support all the modern things, so you're not going to have any trouble there. Internet of tech type devices, and eh, they'll probably run into trouble. Um, but as Thread becomes more and more of a thing, you'll probably need to connect them to Wi-Fi a whole lot less anyways. Um, so that's less of a concern.
1: Kind of a weird transitionary place we're in, I suppose, for that kind of stuff, though. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. That's super cool. Glad you got it figured so, out.
0: I, I, we'll see for sure after like a week because who knows, right? Um, I also use this, the Moment in Time to finally swap out the Apple TV for the newer Apple TV. Um, and of nice. course, HomeKit is like, I can't find your living room Apple TV. Your Home Hub is missing. Um, and I'm like, yes, I removed it from the Home app and I don't know why you still think it exists. Um, so... Needless to say, there are still issues uh, in that capacity, but um, stability-wise, it has been a whole lot better for at least a few days. So, uh, that's that's been the silver lining. Nice. Yeah, let me see if it's uh, still showing that even after restarting. Yep, still showing that even after restarting, so... Eh. So... That's a Apple Home app special, I guess. Nice. <laughs> uh, that's all I got. Cool. All right. Thanks Bye.
1: everyone.
0: Bye.